Hey everybody, Chris here. I just wanted to give you a couple of quick notes on some upcoming events before we get started. Uh, this week is the week of the International Climbers Festival here in Lander, and Nate and I are here in town all week. We'll be at a lot of the events. On Friday, July 13th, uh, we'll be at the Lander City Park uh, during the trade fair. We'll have a table there. We'll have shirts, finger care kits, process journals. We'll be around to answer questions. Also during that day, um, as part of the Yakima Skyrise sessions, I'll be moderating a training panel with Steve Bechtel from Climbstrong, as well as some folks from Training Beta. Uh, and then immediately after the panel, we'll be over at the Black Diamond booth for a happy hour, free beer, free LaCroix, and um, it'll be a talk with a trainer happy hour at the Black Diamond booth immediately after the panel. Um, also, later in the Skyrise sessions at 5.20, um, I've been working on a project here in town with Amy Skinner, uh, May Ratz, and Sarah and Hannah Skinner. So uh, it's a storytelling event called the Hulahan Narratives. We're doing a climber edition um, with the only prompt for the short four to eight minute stories being the word float. Um, and I believe Paul Piana will be there to tell a story. So you should definitely stick around and check that out. Also, I mentioned in this episode that we've got movement assessment sessions in the machine shop during the festival. Um, there is a link in the show notes for you to sign up for those. Uh, so please check that out. And if you see us around the opening party or the art fair or any of the other events, please say hello. We're going to try and carry around stickers throughout the whole event so if you want a sticker hit us up say hello grab some stickers all right see you guys there maybe don't know maybe don't. this time this time this time this What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. And I'm Nathan Drolet. And together we form the real Slim Shady because we're back again. <laughs> and I'm back because I've been away from the podcast. I've only been constructing in the machine shop, um, banging my head against the wall, so to speak, and literally a little bit. Um, but it's coming along. It's almost done, which I'm very, very excited about because I can get back to the things I enjoy doing way more. Yeah, and it's looking great. Yeah, and it's going to feel nice too now that we've closed it in and insulated it. So mm -hmm. instead of a thousand degrees in the Wyoming summer. Um, what are we going to talk about today? Rock climbing. That's a good thing to talk about. Though... I don't know anything about rock climbing right now. I know mostly about constructing. So if you want to talk about how to cut drywall angles, I can talk to you about that. On point. <laughs> so I think the topic today is going to be the art of the second try send. And that might sound to the uninitiated a little bit mm, obvious, right? But I think most people's second try send is something entirely different from what we are talking about. It's lackluster. Yes. Very lackluster. And mo for most people, it's, you know, a, a small mistake and a flash attempt or um, messed up some beta. Or yeah. Something exactly. simple. And then you can just do it really easily on your second go and you move on. Mm -hmm. And that's not at all the thing that we're talking about. Um, how would you describe the second try send? Um, <clears throat> as we see it. As we see it, it's um, more of a tactical strategy of trying to choose something that's fairly difficult for you and going up at once using as many tactics as you can and really breaking down that route to the best that you absolutely can so that when you pull on for the second go, you have absolute confidence 
to try and send it. Yeah, except for rubber knee pads. We don't approve of those tactics. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are awful. Actually, we approve of those quite highly when necessary. Um, yeah, exactly. It, and it, what level should it be at? You said quite difficult for you. Where do you see that level being? Uh, I think, so put a bit of thought into this. I think it can be anywhere from, you know, so typically the idea with on-siting is that you should be able to on-site your max on-site should be four letter grades below your hardest right. red point. Right. I think for a second go send, like three to four letters away from your max send is like a good spot to like go for. But um, I mean, yeah, two and even like one underneath, I think is completely fine. Like there's times where if something fits you, like I've had a, a time where I've been able to second go something just one letter below my max, which for me was like, like had someone else not put the idea in my head, like I probably wouldn't have even tried it because that seemed yep. intimidating at the time. Yep, totally. Yeah, I agree with that number. Um, I think if you're a really great on-site climber, then then it's going to end up being right around your on-site level or a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. If you really suck at on-site climbing, but you're really good at red pointing then your second go send could be considerably harder than your best on-site, actually. You know, if you have really yeah. great red point tactics already and you can apply them to the second try send, then you might be second try sending, you know, two or three numbers below your, below your red point level. Mm -hmm. So... It should be hard for you. That's what that's what we're saying here. Yes. And when you're approaching a second try send, why don't you want to try and just onsite it? Because it's hard. <laughs> <clears throat> and if you do try and onsite it, then do you automatically switch to the second try send? You can, but man, it's kind of hard to do. Yeah, it, I think so too. <clears throat> there's a lot that can go wrong with that. Um, I think something that <clears throat> everyone kind of goes through this of either like you flash or you onsite a climb or you flash or onsite through a certain section and in your mind, you're like, okay, I did that first try. Like that means I should be able to repeat it, but you forget just how hard you had to try the first time. Right. Um, and man with onsighting routes, like it's, it's comical. Like this happens to everyone. It's like, oh, I nearly onsighted. I fell going to the top and I just, you know, slipped going to the anchors. Like I should do it next go. And it takes you like five tries mm -hmm. because you never climb that confidently, that with that much commitment, you don't try as hard because you keep trying to have it just feel easy. Right. Um, so it's tough and it depends on how high you fall on an onsite because, you know, at a certain point you have to say, like, do I backtrack? Do I retrace my beta? Like, do I check to see if I can do something better down low? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I'm glad you just said it depends on where you fall because I think if it's, you know, if it's a route that starts with a hard boulder that you're trying to onsite and you fall at boulder number two, sure, by all means, go into second try send mode. Um, but when you fall up high, I most of the time just go straight out of second try send mode. Mm. You know, I... It, it more often than not, it ends up being another failed attempt. Um, and I've talked about this on the podcast before. So my tactic, if I fall high on an onside attempt, is to not get on it again that day. Next time I'm at the crag, I go, I approach it like a second go send, mm -hmm. but as a as a totally new route. So I'll go up it as part of my warm ups, bolt to bolt, work out all the beta, and then send it next go. And usually if I've had one really good onside attempt on it, I can do it in two more tries pretty comfortably mm -hmm. rather than trying again and falling at the same spot or a lower spot that I took for granted like you just talked about. Yeah. And I think that's why it's hard is because we so often when we're trying to onsite get through sections really quickly and, and completely take them for granted just – don't take into account how difficult they were or or we got through them partially out of luck and just believe, oh, I'll get through that next time. And 
then we go up there with this expectation that it's going to feel easy. As soon as it feels hard, all of a sudden we're stressed out and it makes the route harder. So, yeah. so I think that's a dangerous way to approach things. Totally. Um, before we dig in more into the how of uh, a second, I guess we just covered the what of uh, a second go send. Mm-hmm. Um, why do we want to send something second go? I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, number one, road trips. You know, I think it's a really valuable tool to have on road trips. If you've just got a week's vacation off of work, it's tough to convince yourself to dig into a project that you might walk away empty-handed with or from. It's tough to convince yourself that you should only do relatively easy mileage because mm-hmm. then you're walking away with nothing of value, so to speak. You know, not that mileage isn't valuable, but you're not walking away with anything that you want to tell your friends about. Yeah. And mastering the art of the second try send is in my opinion, a great way to maximize your time and still walk away with relatively high numbers. And, you know, let's face it, we're all interested in numbers. Um, So, Everyone out there who's now balking at talking about numbers can just deal with it because you're all into it too. So I think that's one big reason. Yeah. I think weekend warriors totally should be really good at the second try send again to maximize time. Like um, you can get bigger numbers. You can get better, faster learning the tactics that are required for the second try send and it builds a crazy amount of confidence to be able to go up something difficult dial it in and then walk it on your second try you know that's a crazy amount of confidence and something that i really like for the beginning of a season when you're first coming back outside instead of just throwing yourself into the fire with on-site attempts or throwing yourself right into a big project do a few little mini projects or a mini project or two and some second try sends. You know, I think that's a good way to kind of get your feet back under you. Totally. Um, and to finish a season. If you've sent a project, you know, do a little project shopping, do a little sending of things. And I mm-hmm. think the second try send is a, is a good way to do that rather than just climbing a bunch of easy things. Totally. <clears throat> your thoughts? Oh, uh, same thing. You know, honestly, like, when you look at, I mean, you look at climbing, like one of our biggest limiters is like number of good days in a season, number of good days that you're going to be somewhat fresh, that you're going to be able to go out to your project, that it'll be dry, you know, all these things like, you know, in the Red River Gorge, like if you're a weekend warrior, like how many, or even if you're not, like even if you're just there, let's say you have a month off in November, you can still only climb so many days of the week. You're only going to be fresh for so many. Like, why waste your time? Like, if you can, if you can do something faster, why not? Um, and so I think that's, yeah, like in the long run, like you only have so many days in a season. So it's like you want to get the most out of them as possible. Yeah. And, and you know, it, I, I could definitely see people who aren't really familiar with this idea not understanding what we mean by if you can do something faster, why not? Because the, you know, also why not dig into a project? Why not all these other things? But I think the missing part of it is that there's such a level of tactical mastery that goes into the second try send that a lot of people are missing and things that could be a second try send end up becoming short or long-term projects. Oh, yeah. You know, I've seen dozens of people climb to the top of stain, fall off, and then repeat that over and over and over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And if they would take one attempt to go up it, really learn the beta, really learn some of the efficiencies, really dial things in, they would have a much better chance at clipping the chains if they had those tactical skills that you can really dial in in the second try send. Totally. I actually have kind of a funny story. Um, when I was in college, I went up to the Red for a three-day weekend. 
drove up with a buddy and we're both like, okay, we're going to go to the dark side. We'll each pick a project for the weekend. And, um, you know, that's what we're going to do. So I had just done the force and I wanted to check out elephant man and my buddy Logical was cool progression. Yes. Um, my buddy that I was climbing with was like, I was like, man, you should get on elephant man. Like he was a little fit, fitter than I was. I'd say like, we very much could have climbed on the same stuff. Like, um, and he was like, ah, oh, you know, I think I'm going to keep things a little lower end and I want to try and do more stuff faster. I was like, cool. So with the force being 13 a and elephant man, 13 B, he was like, I'll start with a force. And cause I had the beta. I was like, cool. I'll spray you up it. Like he was psyched on the idea of trying to flash it. Mm-hmm. And, and meanwhile, I was like, okay, like I have more or less two days. Like we were climbing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I was like, I'll climb on this Friday. We were both going to take a really easy day Saturday, do some like fun, easy stuff. And then we'll go back Sunday and rally hard. So I'm like, cool. I'll probably have like six goes. I'll try and get elephant man done in that. And meanwhile, he's like, okay, I'm going to try and flash the force. So goes up, follows the beta perfectly, just nails it down, falls going to the anchors. Mm-hmm. Falls, and I'm like... He's not the first. By no means. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he takes the whip, and he's like, cool, you can dirt me. And I was like, uh, you should probably go up there and check it out. And he's, he was like, no. Because I, like, I gave him beta, and he, at the last minute, he doubted the beta. He hesitated. He was like, right. I'll just trust your beta on the next go. I was yep. like, you sure? He's like, yeah, no, it's not a big deal. I'm not even pumped right now. I was like, cool. Lower him. I go over, get my beta burn. Things are going better. He takes another burn, falls at the top again. Yeah, he's not the first. No. (laughs) Once again, hey, you want to go up there and suss things out? No, I I know what I'm doing this time. Yeah. Long story short, he falls third time for that day Mm -hmm. and finally goes up and commits to some terrible beta. He does beta once and he's like, that's good enough. Right. Cool. Lower now me. Now I know I can do it. Yeah, exactly. You already know where this is going. We yep. take an easy day Saturday, come back Sunday, and um, I ended up doing Elephant Man first try that day. I was like, oh, cool. Like, this is great. And he ended up doing the force third try that day because it was another go up, falling. You can lower. I just need to try harder. Go up the second time. He was like, okay. I'll finally figure out how to do the upper bit. <laughs> Figured out what he was doing and it just took an extra like two minutes and yeah. then he did it. But then it was, you know, it took him like six goes. Um, and when we were driving back, he was just like, man, he's like, I feel like I should have just gotten on the harder thing with you. Like I could have completely done that, but instead I just like fell off the top of this route for an entire weekend. Yeah. And if he would have, you know, put something like this, second try send into effect, he could have done the force. Probably would have done both. Second go and then gotten on Elephant Man and worked it out. Yeah. He was more than strong enough. He could have easily, all it would have taken was pulling up, going to the anchors and right. actually figuring it out and being 100% confident. Yep. Come down, he'd have fired it second go, hopped on Elephant Man. He would have done both, no question. Like, totally. um, Well, I don't know how his tactics would have been on the second one. but, um, But yeah, so this was like, it's such a classic example. And we see this all the time. Like, you know, everyone does like something that should have just been the end of his warm up turned into an entire weekend long project. Yeah. Yep. So you sort of touched on it a little bit, skirted around it a little bit, but let's talk a little bit about what an attempt, what attempt number one will look like on a second try send. So, if you were going to go up and try to do Elephant Man second try, what would go number one look like? I would have my brush. I would brush all the holds. I would. That's that's good, actually. I I wouldn't have said that, <laughs> and I yell at people often for not carrying a brush. So, um, yeah, especially the jugs. For some reason, people want to like people don't brush jugs. Yeah, they want to brush the the Crocs holds, but not that they spend like five seconds on, but not the in, the massive jug rest that they spend like yeah. 30 minutes on resting. Yeah, brush the holds. Um, and you're going to get lots of opportunities to brush on yeah. this so, first go. Take so. bolt to bolt. Um, so really, and I mean, I think we talked on this last time uh, or one of these recent episodes, like when I say bolt to bolt, I literally mean every bolt single to bolt. bolt to bolt. Yeah. If you're feeling good, don't keep going. Yeah. Like, even, I mean, even if it is like good holds, like stop, like take, feel, like feel around. Sometimes holds have like 
extra pockets next to them, mm-hmm. or there's just something small you might not have seen. Um, you don't want to trust your on-site beta for like for totally. your next go. Like there's o- almost always something you could do slightly better. Um, so be going bolt to bolt, really trying to like take my time. Um, biggest thing that I see go wrong with people, and I know this happens to me, is not being patient. Like yeah. don't settle for good enough. Um, you know, and there's a difference between like, oh, I need to try 3,000 different types of beta. Right. Um, but, you know, just because you can pull through something first try, it's like, well, if you're at the ninth bolt, like, you might want to consider if that's like the best method, like, double check. Yep. Um, another huge thing, and this is like, I've been guilty of it. I think everyone has is not overlapping sequences. Yeah. Anytime you go to pull on, pull on like two moves below where you just were. Yep. Like, even if you think like, oh, that'll tire me out a little bit. It's like, well, you're climbing on like a 90 foot rock climb. If two more moves tire you out, like you're in trouble. Right. Um, and man, I've, yeah, like I've been guilty of it, of going up, getting into a sequence and I'm like, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And the second I get there, I'm like, oh, my feet are like crossed up and they're two, like two feet lower than I thought they were going to be. Right. Cause I just pulled on with my feet too high yep. when I was rehearsing it. Yep. Same when you get to a bolt. Don't just, if you can, don't just clip the bolt and say take. I like to clip the bolt, make another move so that I know that I'm established. Mm -hmm. I move or two, climb to my waist as the bolt, something like that before I say take. Totally. And you actually just reminded me of something else. If you get up and get to a rest, don't just clip the bolt, say take, and be like, okay, this is a rest. We're good. Yep. Go up, clip the bolt. Try and figure out exactly. Figure out how you're going to rest because every rest is a little different. Like there's so many times where you can find just subtle body positions where you can take weight off in different ways. Um, And you might find that it looks like an obvious rest, but it's not at all, and you need to keep moving. I can tell you a lot of times that's happened where I'm like, no, those are jugs over there. And then the second you get there on point, you're like, oh wait, these jugs don't have feet. Right. Um, Yeah. So yes, anything you plan on doing on point, rehearse. Um, and this sounds like common sense. Um, but a lot of people screw it up. Yeah. I mean, I, I screw it up. I've, me too. Like it happens. So these are just things to keep in mind. But for me, the biggest thing is don't rush it. Just really be patient and take your time. Um, you yep. know, and something that it's definitely useful um, and not everyone uses it. Not everyone's a fan of it, but like tick marks. Like, yeah, you know, actually I was climbing uh you and i both were climbing up at the wild iris today and um i was with bj tilden and he was preparing for the comp and putting sabotage ticks on all and the well he actually just jokingly <laughs> because there were no ticks on this route that he went up to try and remember that he hadn't climbed in a decade or whatever mm-hmm. you know and he got halfway up ticking these little holds and then he just goes tick marks people <laughs> like, you know, why aren't we using tick marks here? Um, and when I was going up one of the 12s I did today, he's like, oh, I'm going to do this one in the comp. Tick that hold for me. Tick that hold for me. You know? I mean, especially here because it's a sea of holds. They yeah. all look the same. On white rock. And I'm going to go ahead and put out a public service announcement right now. Um, if you're putting a tick mark, do it with intention. Do it with purpose. I know we say this about everything, but please, for the love of God, stop putting your sloppy tick marks on the wall. Like, if you're going to do it, go for the pointer finger or the pink, like, you know, line it up with one of your fingers. Like, yeah. don't just like, like, yes, this is a six inch wide hold and you just put like a giant stripe down the middle of it. Like, come on, we can do better than this. There needs to be a standard for how we tick things. Pointer fingers. Pointer fingers. Yeah. That's, what if it's back three? I mean, I guess we're also like being exclusive <laughs> to Tommy Caldwell, but uh, That's he doesn't need ticks. That's true. I, for hard things, I like the double ticks. Oh, yeah, the rookie stripes. So that my, I'm all so about I know them. right where to fit my fingers on these little crimps. Mm-hmm. You know? So, most important thing with brush or with ticking, brush them off. Wait, you've got some rookie stripes in the machine shop right now. Uh, you know, I actually almost took a silver <laughs> Sharpie because I was like, these holds are never moving. I can just sharpie on my tick marks permanent sharpie tick marks yeah you were out of town i thought yeah. definitely thought about it bj was in the in the room for like 30 <laughs> seconds and he was like what the fuck are these tick marks <laughs> it's a hard move so i guess he he allows tick marks and 
the outdoors but not in the indoors oh yeah no i get shit every time i go back to houston whenever i'm <laughs> trying boulders because they'll like put a little screw on jim on a sloper so i tick mark it yep i'm just like what is this why is there a weird stripe on the hold <laughs> yeah i tick mark in the gym too um but <clears throat> yeah so when you're done with tick marks brush them off like that's yep, yep. common etiquette and one more thing on public service announcement don't put massive tick marks on footholds like just yeah. little dots agreed because if it's a massive tick mark people will like lunge to it from below yeah just like a tiny little dot below it perfect yep like, yeah totally. since, since we're setting standards here yeah i'm in i'm in we should write the tick mark guide yes we'll do that um the there was one thing more i wanted to say about how to how to approach actually there are a couple more things i want to say I would suggest not doing a ton of linking. Mm-hmm. If it's a if it's a really bouldery section that you know you're going to have trouble linking through, then link through that section. But don't get into that like Red River overzealous endurance pump lust mode where oh, I'm going to lower all the way back down to bolt number two and link to bolt 31. Mm-hmm. Um, then you're just going to be fucking tired for the second go. So it's a learned thing. You'll you'll have to experiment and get some experience with this to know exactly when should I link things, when shouldn't I. But I would definitely caution against linking too much. Mm-hmm. Are there times <clears throat> that jump out to you when you think linking is necessary? Uh, yes, actually. I think if you've grabbed a draw at some point and there's not a rest there, you should definitely then lower down and link through that bolt. Mm-hmm. Stop, rehearse like you're going to clip. Yep. Yeah, you should definitely link through those sections. If they're, you know, we all know our strengths and weaknesses, whether we want to acknowledge them or not. And if you know that power endurance is one of your weaknesses and there's a long stretch of relatively difficult moves, I think do a link on it on TR after you've gone through just for the confidence of knowing that you can get through that section, Mm -hmm. you know, even more so than the physical need to do it. I think the confidence is really, really important. Totally. So couldn't agree more. But I don't think it needs to be, you know, like a full-on red point campaign or like a top-down approach where you're trying to link from bolt three to the top. Totally, yeah. You know, it, it you need to be a little more choosy, a little more discerning about where you're doing links. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's a good point. Only thing I would add is um, if there's times where you're not sure if beta is too powerful... Because mm. it definitely happens That's, where yep. you'll be bolt-to-bolting yeah. and you're like, oh, I don't know why everyone doesn't just like lock this hole down at their waist. Yeah. Like, this seems nice, but it's at like the top of a 30-move power endurance sequence. Yep. Um, you know, maybe try and do a few moves into it and see, are you still feeling that snappy? Like, yep, that's good beta for sure. Um, but And otherwise, like, you just kind of have to, These it's one of those things that you get a feel for. Um, like, there is one time where I would say even... You know, I feel like if you're going to give a second second go effort, you need to be confident on every single move and you need to have done all the moves and some decent links. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say there is one time at least where I think it's okay if you don't do the move. And that's sometimes there are going to be moves that are like to a really sharp hold or something like that where like if you're doing a big jump move to just like a razor <clears throat> sharp jug. Yep. And you're going up, you're like, okay, I'm like more or less doing it. I just can't latch because I'm not committing. But like, and this is something with myself personally, it's like, I know like, okay, if I have the pressure of me like sending or not, I'm going to latch that hold no matter how sharp it is. Yep. That exact thing happened to me. Um, I was trying Cat's Demise at the red Mm -hmm. and there's a hard move to a hold that was completely fucking wrecking my skin near the top and my friend Jerry was belaying and I hadn't done the move that day Um, and I was like 
you know, if I keep trying this move, I've got maybe one or two attempts at this move left before my before my skin's through and I'm bleeding. So mm-hmm. just dirt me. Yeah. You know, sometimes you got to call it. Like I, I lowered down and I ate uh, spicy tuna in an avocado. <laughs> and I actually, I put antihydral on my tips because <laughs> it's the red and it's fucking sweaty. And I sat down there for about an hour and then I washed the antihydral off and I went and I stuck the move and I sent. Yeah. And Jerry was like, you know, I thought that tactic was really stupid till you sent. And I'm like, well, you know, I had, I could grab that hold one more time. That was it. And, yeah. and I might as well give it that attempt, you know. No, totally. And that's like, I feel like that's much more common in bouldering is that you'll, you're just going to be like, okay, I have to like just jump to this really sharp crimp or something like that where you just really have to want it. And it's hard to want it just for some random link pulling off the ground. Yep. Um, but it's one of those things that like, yeah, once you have enough confidence in yourself, you understand like, okay, I'm going to get here. I'm going to be hundred percent confident. I'm just going to jump up and latch it. Yep. Um, so that's one time where I can see where it's fine to. Yeah. Not a super common occurrence, but no, but it can definitely happen. So you shouldn't just trap yourself in the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as skill development goes, what benefits do you think that the second go send and practicing it has? Well, I think, especially if you're not steeped in red pointing, it's a really great crash course in good tactics mm-hmm. and understanding how quickly a sequence, a route, whatever can go from feeling really, really difficult to this thing that feels like you floated it, you know, with the right amount of beta, with the right tactics, with the right dialing in of movement. That's a really important thing to learn that a lot of people just don't understand, you know, especially if you've been just a a sport climber or a trad climber, especially a trad climber, <laughs> your your whole life and and you've never really put a lot of time into bouldering. Um, I think this is a really great way to learn how those tactics can change your next attempt. Um, I think it's similar to our perfect repeats, but on a on like a grand a much more grand scale. Um, where you're putting all these little sections that you're rehearsing into one big larger routine, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the those are the ones I see as like the big, um, you know, the easy. What's the word I'm looking for here? The uh, those are the obvious ones. Yeah, yeah. How about you? Um, I think it's a great way to develop red pointing skills, like in all those tactics. Um, and it's kind of like, uh, was it Daniel Coyle who wrote talent code? Yep. Um, in it, he talks about shrinking the field more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uses the example of futsal for f- soccer. So mm-hmm. it's like higher speed requires more ball handling, very condensed. Um, and the thing is it's like, it speeds up this process of learning. Um, And it's the same thing, Roger Bannister, whenever he was preparing for the, was it 1952 Olympics? The year before, because he was in med school, couldn't train a ton, so he couldn't race a lot, but he was racing 800 meters instead of the mile because the 800 meters didn't seem to wreck him. And like for his training, but also because you can't really pace an 800 the way like you can kind of sit back in a mile. So it was all racing tactics. Like you had to be right. just like aggressive the whole time. So he felt like this was keeping him sharp on racing and like it was teaching him how to race hard. Um, I feel like this is very much the same way. It takes like this long red totally. pointing process of, you know, okay, I'm going to work everything, like get these big links and it distills it in one go. Like how much can yep. you learn in one effort? Um, and it's cool. Like, I think if you allow it, you can learn a lot from it. And then you can take it to big red, big red points and you can shave days off of projects. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who just refuse to red point. They're like, I just want to climb as many routes as I can. And 
I don't understand how working on one route forever is going to make me better. So this is a really great in-between for them to learn to do. You know, it's a crash course in good tactics, essentially. And a lot of those climbers who just go out and climb new pitches all the time are horrible tacticians, you know? So yeah. this, is a good, this is a good thing for them to add to their arsenal. Mm-hmm. After you've gone up go number one, how long do you rest before go number two? Um, depends on the route, the length, <clears throat> how long your climber or your blayer takes to climb their route. Um, I don't know. I don't normally worry too much about rest times, as weird as that may sound. I feel like normally whenever I climb with someone, we try and line up to similar project lengths. Mm -hmm. So if I was climbing in the Madness Cave, you try and line up with someone who was also doing that. (laughs) Because God forbid, I was climbing with someone for a while who they were trying eight ball, which on a good red point effort takes about 90 seconds. Right. And I was trying Omaha Beach at the same time. (laughs) So it's just like, okay, you're going to have three goes to my one. Like, this is going to work out great. Yeah. Um, What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's sort of the same as you. It's really tough to gauge uh, unless you just have the experience of knowing when you're ready to go. But I do think that's something to pay attention to in your process as you start trying these second try sends. Pay attention to how you felt before you get back on and then how that attempt went and make little adjustments and you might find that, you know, for instance, some climbers that I've coached, if they're at a, a rest on a route, I'll ask them how long they've been there. They're like, I've been here 10 minutes. Oh, God. You know, and they've been there 45 seconds. Uh-huh. And I'll ask some people, how much have you gotten back? Oh, I've, I've gotten back all of it, you know, and then they'll do two moves and they'll fall off. Uh-huh. So you don't really a lot of people don't really know as well as they think they do whether they're recovered, what they have left. So I think it's important to pay attention to that um, so that you can make better educated guesses. Yeah. You want to be informed. Yeah. Like I think keeping like a stopwatch, you know, just regular watch, whatever is huge. I remember, uh, Oh man, when I first started timing my bouldering workouts and I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to rest at least 90 seconds between every time I pull on the wall. It was an eternity. Yeah. Like, especially if you're you're bouldering alone, you like drop down, chalk up, shake out. You're like, okay, rerun beta through my head a few times. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go. Look down. It's been 20 seconds. Yeah. It's like, what do I do with the Mm -hmm. other 70? I don't know. Like, and yeah, it's a, oh, it's very much the same with routes on how long you shake out and things like that. Um, but yeah, so I think that's huge. Like I, there is very much a difference between being obsessive. And I think that's what a lot of people get worried about when they, you know, mm. someone starts pulling out the stopwatch. They're like, okay, I'm at right. the rest. Time me for seven and a half minutes. Right, right. You know, there's a big difference between that and just being aware of the fact of like, hey, when I get up to that knee bar, just like time me and when, like, let me know how long it's been once I get back to the ground between when I start and when I leave it. Yep. Like, it's just good to be informed because there's times where someone will be like, you know, you were shaking on that crimp for like 10 minutes. Yep. Like, you might want to try just going through, like chalk each hand, move. Yep. Um, yeah, I saw um, Daniel Woods and Greg Kersner working on Supercharger, a 13D at Drive-By in the Red, and they... Greg had put an iPod and headphones on the shelf where you sit down. I hear it was Blink-182. It was Blink-182. And um, so they were both, when they would get to that shelf, they would put on the headphones, start the playlist, and wouldn't climb until the playlist was over. Like it was a specific time, or rough time, you know, that Greg had decided this is how long I need to rest. Mm-hmm. And he would listen to the playlist, and then he would climb. That's amazing. And Daniel's comment on 8A was, Greg Case that listens to Blink-182. <laughs> you know? so, and I think that's a smart way to do it, you know, because you you haven't done a whole lot of climbing before the shelf, but it's hard enough. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it would be really tempting to just go and then fall off over and over. So 
Yeah. No, I climbed Know that. how long you need to be recovered. Mm-hmm. I climbed on that one this last fall. And uh, it. I learned a lot about the difference between just how much something can power you down. And mm-hmm. it's funny because I've had, had this conversation with multiple people when like, cause they'd be like, Oh, how long do you sit on the ledge? I was like, I don't know, like 10, 15 minutes. And they're like, really? Like, they're like, well, er. and I'd say like, but I could probably go longer if it wasn't colder because like, I just need to be as fresh as possible. And they're like, Oh, but it's a no hands. And you know, you just did a little V seven. Um, and I didn't realize how huge of a difference it made till one day I was like, okay, I'm just going to warm up on, do my second warm up on the top of this. So I stick clipped the second bolt or the third bolt, Adam Andred my way up that thing, just trammed up it with a, an ascender. Mm-hmm. So I skipped like the super crimpy, like V7 or so. And for my second warm up, I almost did the entire upper section, yep. like, and felt great. And I was just like, oh, like, like this is crazy. Yep. But it makes sense. It's like, you know, if you were like, let's say you, an easy example is something that we see all the time when people go bouldering. Um, and they're warming up for the projects. Let's say someone wants to go try V9. What do they do? They do like a couple of V0s, some ones, some twos, threes, maybe up to a five. And they're like, okay, I'm going to go straight to the nine. And if you ask like, well, why don't you go do the V7? It's like, well, it might tire me out. Right. It's like, you could have two hours in between and they're afraid it's going to tire them out. Like on this rock climb, I'm having a 10 minute difference. Right. Of course it's going to tire me out. Yeah, totally. Um, But yeah, so that was like, that's a super interesting one as far as like timing your rests and like, or even just being aware of it, like of how much something plays a role. Yeah. I just, I mean, just today I went up this 12 B fell in the crux, figured out the move, climbed to the top, lowered back down and was like, Oh, I'll just, I'll just go right back up. I feel fresh. I, yeah. I felt totally fresh. Like no pump felt fine. You walked by as I was on the ground and I'm glad you guys kept walking because it was a very poor display of rock climbing. Um, I clipped chains, so I got the points, but it was a shit show. All of the easy but but big pulls, I, I nearly fell on every single one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, the crux I had dialed in and wasn't super powerful. It was just more tension-y. So I did that perfectly fine, but all the big easy pulls, I was it was a shit show. Oh man! I'm glad no one saw it, but BJ. My, and he at the top, he was like, "Good job, dude!" And I'm like, <laughs> "Come on, man! <laughs> that was not even sort of a good job. That was pitiful." <clears throat> but I was totally powered down. I just didn't feel it. Yeah, and sometimes you won't like. It's hard to tell, and sometimes like I've had times where I've like pulled onto a route and I'm like, huh, maybe I'm still a little pumped, but I was like in a better spot than I would have been had I waited longer and gotten cold. Yep. So yeah, like it's an experience thing. mm -hmm. Play around with it. Yeah. But but make it intentional. Yeah. Get the data, you know, record, like you don't need to record the time, but like just pay attention to it and don't obsess over it. Or if you're Tyler, you just have it on video for every single attempt of every route you've ever climbed. Yeah. Which is actually great if you have the patience to do it. <laughs> um. And then, is there anything you do to prepare for that next execution? That's like a, when you're tying in, getting ready to go, is there anything special that you do? Mm-hmm. Um, after reading Jerry Moffat's first book, um, what was that? Was Gen- no. Revelation? Revelations. I almost said Genesis. Revelations. Um, he talked about how before his hard red points, he would always run the beta through his head twice. And that's like, I still swear by that. Yeah. Like, man, it works. Like, Do you do it in a British accent? Yes. <laughs> Lots of swearing. It's great. <laughs> While smoking a cigarette. Yes. And wearing <laughs> Lycra and all the things. Um think about how I just like to burn people off. Um, <laughs> you got to love Jerry Moffat. Yeah. But yeah, so I think that's great. Like, and trying to take that mental rehearsal to the most extreme, to the point to where like when I'm very well practiced in it, like you can, like I can feel the different like body shifts, even though my body is staying the exact same, like I can feel how my body's transitioning through space. Yeah. And when I can get to that point, it's like, 
massive difference. Yep. Um, but that's just it. It's like, it's a, I forget who it was, but it was like some famous basketball player was talking about just like mentally rehearsing. Like he was working with a mental coach and the guy was just like, yeah, um, you know, if you can't in your head, imagine yourself shooting a basket, like how are you going to ever do that consistently? Right. And this was like a NBA player. And he was just like, you know, I felt ridiculous, like in my head, like imagining myself shooting free throws, but I kept doing it to the point where I could feel it. And then my free throws got better. Yeah. Like, and that's how I feel with climbing. Like, you know, maybe the first step is you imagine you're watching yourself climb it. And the second is like, you can see yourself, like you're pretending like it's first person and you're doing it. And then if you can eventually get to the point where you're feeling everything, like <clears throat> that's amazing. So for me, like trying to be as in-depth rehearsing it, all the way from the ground to clipping anchors. And like, I don't, I even like try and sync my breathing. I do everything, like sync my body tension, like when I'm yep. rehearsing it. Uh, and to me, that's huge. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I do a very similar thing when I'm, when I'm in that mode. You pretend you're Jerry Moffat? Um, well, no, I pretend I'm Ben Moon, actually. There you go. Um, we can just yell at each other with British <laughs> accents. That would be cool. Drive some and fast drive. cars. <laughs> I, was, I was just about <laughs> just to say. <laughs> Rally fast cars and motorcycles around Lander. It's going to be amazing. Uh, um, but I also have a routine that I like to do, and I've talked about this before. Um, actually, I talked about it in the episode with Hazel Finley. Because this is also the part where she told me I should try taking my trousers off. I remember this. <laughs> you remind me every day. <laughs> <clears throat> I've just got it on a loop on my on my phone. Um, but I like to take my harness off and put it back on. So I like to make sure that I'm like suiting up for battle right before I get on. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it has to be an intentional moment for me it can't just be like oh i'm in the middle of eating a granola bar and it's my turn to go and i'm like oh sure i'll just jump on and do this burn yeah if i can execute in that situation it's probably not that hard for me Mm -hmm. so so i like to have that routine as part of my like final right before i step on the wall you know things that i do yeah so nice. I'm I think a big that's fan super helpful. Totally. I'm a big fan of communicating with belayers too. Um, you know, even if sometimes like if it's anything from just being like, okay, like I'm skipping that bolt or yep. like, it's really hard for me at the third bolt, like in clipping it. Yep. Um, and just, you know, it's the kind of thing of just saying like, if I know that someone's like <clears throat> on it with me, like, really watching you at that moment. Yeah. It's like, if they know if I'm like, like one of my best ever second go attempts, like I told my buddy, I was just like, hey, like the fourth bolt is really hard for me to clip. But if I clip it, I'm taking it to the top. Like, and what's funny is it was probably only like 12D or so to that clip. But in my mind, I was just like, okay, like make the clip and just like fucking do it. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. And so sometimes it just takes like being really confident. Yeah. And it feels, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan as well of communicating with the Blair and when you're in this situation where you know you're about to have to fight for it, then it's really helpful for me to know that I have an ally, you know, somebody else who's in the fight with me. Mm-hmm. You know, they know the fight is about to happen. They're preparing for the fight as well. That feels pretty powerful to me as opposed to me just up there alone. Totally. fighting by myself oh man when you've got a belayer or like people at the cr- <clears throat> like at the crag that are on your same wavelength that are just like yeah i couldn't agree more yeah when it's it's a similar thing when people at the crag know the route that you're getting on and they know when it's going to be hard and they they can time their encouragement really well huge there's nothing worse than the like <laughs> i'm hanging out at a rest and somebody's like come on chris and i'm like okay Come on, what? Like, oh man, hanging out at a rest. Yeah, <laughs> I'm coming on. Oh man, the only time I've ever yelled at a belayer, and I apologize the second I got to the ground, but I was trying to onside a route, and I am at the fourth bolt. I'm um, hanging draws. I hung the third draw, but I was like, mm, the next hold looks like I can hang. Like, I'll be able to clip it better. I am now in the crux, irreversible. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's just keep going. I'm now at the fourth. It is not hung, and uh. 
the third draw is unclipped and at my ankles. Right. My hands are switched up and I'm like, okay, like, let's just take our time here. Let's yep. suss this out. My belayer is just screaming, like, screaming come at on, you. come on. Did you, you know this? you skipped that bolt? And I just like turn around <laughs> and I was like, you could die right now. Oh my God. I was like, please shut up right now. <laughs> and like, I said it in a little worse of a tone, went back to like diffusing this bomb right in front of me. Like, took my time. Yeah. Like, undid the sequence, like, clipped the bolt, went up to the top, came down. I was like, I'm very sorry. I was like, but like, I, you know, it's like, yeah, we got to be on the same wavelength. Like, if I am in the danger zone, do not scream at me to go. Like, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't need your anxiety. Tacked on mine. Tacked onto yours. Yeah. yeah. Just tell exactly. me to breathe. You know, take my time. <laughs> yep. Like, Yeah. And, you know, Annalisa can read my anxiety really well. So when we're climbing together, I try to talk calmly when I think there could be a scary fall coming. Mm -hmm. But she can hear it every time. <laughs> she can hear the slightest little bit of anxiety. And she's just like, I need you to shut the fuck up right now. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, one of my <clears throat> absolute favorite times of having a belayer who like coaxed me up a route. So I was on snooker. And this was like my maybe fifth go of the day. I get up, I'm like in the middle of the crimp face. I'm just thinking, I'm like, God, I feel like hell. Like, I just want to take my blayers. Like, man, you're looking fucking strong right now. Like, you got this. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I got this. And I sent that go. Yeah. And the second I get to the ground, he's like, dude, you look like fucking shit. You look like, like how did you pull that off? I was like, you told me I look strong. <laughs> but it's funny. It was just like I did this. did that for you. Yeah. I completely like flipped the switch in my head. Like I was like, oh, okay. I'm, I look strong. Cool. Yeah. Let's do this. Um, so yeah, like communicating with the belayer, I think is huge. Yeah. Me too. And then you get on and you execute, you know, and I think that's a practiced thing as well. And I think you can practice that in the gym i don't think this should just be an outdoor thing no <clears throat> we've had a lot of people ask i've gone through this training cycle what do i do now you know Send people shit. people who aren't climbing outside often mm -hmm. what do i do do i just keep training i'm just going to keep training i'm going to train for like 432 weeks in a row <laughs> that's what people want to do yes it's really valuable to have a performance phase in there <clears throat> regardless so that you can put your new skills, your new strength, your new power, your new endurance to work and learn new tactics that come along with those new strengths. Yeah, performing is a skill. And I think this is a great performance skill in the gym. Mm -hmm. um, totally. And it's a practiced thing. Being able to execute calmly, understand the ebb and flow of a hard ascent it's a practice thing. So I definitely think that's how it should go. You know, you should, you should be practicing how to execute. Mm -hmm. Are there people you think shouldn't be doing this? Yes. Um, I think this kind of goes a little bit against what you said earlier, but for people who their MO is just going out and, they only do things in a day and they move on to another crag may never may not get back to that same crag for, you know, another month or whatever. I think there's a lot more value in stopping and saying like, okay, I'm going to try something for 10 goes. Yeah. If you can get them to do it. I mean, we're talking about a perfect world here. Yeah. Um, but well, honestly, we're just talking about what would make them better. Yeah, totally. Like, Cause a <laughs> lot of those people, like there are a lot of people who, you know, second go things, but mm -hmm. really it's just, yeah, it's like, oh, it, I mean, it's just kind because of, they suck at onsiding. Yeah, or it was just, it was like, it was a formality. <laughs> like, you know, like th these should be things where when you're pulling on, you're like, okay, like I need to give it hell right now. Like I need to commit. I need to do everything perfectly. Yep. Like it shouldn't just be like, okay, like I'm just going to pull on. I'm going to do this. And then we'll go over to do that thing over there. Like you should be a little bit nervous. Like, totally. Um, so for people who, honestly, for people who never get nervous before they, climber who never feel nerves like i think for anyone who's ever done a competitive sport like you know someone who raced or played like something like a sport to where there was something on the line in an exact moment mm -hmm. like that is what performance feels like like nerves are a good thing like there's been studies that have shown that <clears throat> athletes perform better with nerves yep like you should be pushing your your climbing to the point to where you feel that um so for people who never push themselves to that level i think they'd get more out of trying to maybe up their red point a little bit more 
mm-hmm. and then they can dial back and say like, okay, now how high can I get my second go? Yep. I, I agree. I do think that would be like bracketing it, you know, learn the onsite, learn the first go, learn the long-term or midterm red point, then come back and learn the in-betweens. Mm-hmm. The only the reason I said what I said earlier is because I've encountered so many people who are just dead set against red pointing. I know. You know? It's sad, but it's true. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. And then the other, the other people that I'd say who shouldn't be doing it is, um, and you already talked about this is people who should be doing like the third go. Like, you know, let's say you warm up, you're like, okay, I'm going to try an onsite that to end my warm up. You fall on the onsite and then you're like, you know, okay, I'm going to move to my project today. Next time I come out, I'm going to bolt to bolt it and then send it second go as, or, you know, third total go as yep. my warm up. Yep. What about you? Do you think there are people who should not be doing it? Um, that's a, I know it was my question, but it's a hard <laughs> fucking question. <laughs> um, no, I think I just agree with you. I think that those are, the main people who shouldn't. I think it's a really valuable skill no matter who you are, what style of climbing you're into, what your strengths and weaknesses are. I think it's a valuable thing. I think if you're a second try master, then you should move on to some other things. You know, like if that's your MO, if that's what you do all the time, maybe move on. Learn some other aspects. Try on sighting. Try long-term red points. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I think it's just such a valuable tool that it's hard to tell people not to do it. Yeah. Um, what would you say if someone said, ah, second go, how are you going to learn from anything you can do second go? Clearly that can't be that hard for you. Well, I think you just said it. I think learn from it is the key there. Um, is it going to make you stronger? Probably not. Um, but climbing isn't all physical and there's so much to learn that I think if you're approaching it like that and you say there's nothing you can learn from it, then you obviously haven't tried it. I mean, we see it happen in gyms all the time where moves can go from impossible when you first try it to fairly easy three or four tries later. Oh, yeah. So that impossible move isn't one you're going to onsite, but if you hang there on the rope, work out the subtleties, and then do the move, and then you can repeat the move every time after that, then that's a really fucking good candidate, and you obviously just learned something about the subtleties of that move. And then on the, the more broad scale that tactic can be applied to all sorts of things people people very often will work a move over and over and over in the gym and then when they go outside if they encounter a move they can't do they just bail oh yeah um so practicing that tactic and learning that this is how it works that you can unlock a move then execute and send the damn route is a really valuable tool. There was a, I, I may have talked about this on the podcast before. I mean, we're damn near a hundred episodes in, so I'm, I've told all my stories Getting now there. just making shit up. Um, but there was a, there was a route, um, welcome to conditioning in the new mm-hmm. that I was on a rest day. I saw that route and was like, Oh, I just have to go up that route. Like, it's gorgeous. I just want to know what it's about. Mm-hmm. So I went up it, bolt to bolt, didn't do two or three of the moves down low, mm-hmm. and was like, mm, can't do this route. So I stripped my draws, got down to the first bolt, and was like, let me just try this sideways dino thing here again, mm-hmm. you know, just to see how it goes. I hadn't stuck the move yet. So I'm on top rope. I've got all my draws hanging on my harness, I do the move, I keep climbing, I do the next move I didn't do, I do the next move I didn't do, and I'm at the top. Oh, man. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? So I hung my draws back, and I came back the next morning and sent. 
You, you know, that actually just answers a question I was about to ask is if you don't do all the moves or if you're not completely confident that you can do it second go, do you still give it a second go effort? Yeah, I think so. If that's your if that's your intention, if you go into this, like I'm going to give a, a solid second go effort, then see it through. Yeah. I think you follow through no matter what. The worst that happens is you fall off and it becomes a short or mid or long term project. You know, projects mm-hmm. are fucking fun. So yeah. you're not losing. Yeah. No, you know, it's funny too. At the New River Gorge, I feel like that place is classic for, I can't tell you how many routes I went up the first try. Wouldn't do the Crocs move. I'd be like, ah, maybe I feel close. I don't know. And then second go, I would do the route. Yeah. Because it's just like, I just needed to be up there, like have the right arousal rate, like try really hard. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, there it is. So yeah, I think there's, and it's like what you just said, like there's, you need to, there's value in sticking with like what you want to try. Plus also with a lot of those, like there are a lot of moves that you won't know how they feel until you're on point. And so if you're going to try and turn this into a campaign, you might as well on your second code, just like give it hell. And you, who knows, you might get further than you think, or you might fall lower than you think. And so that's yeah. like valuable information that you wouldn't get from just being like, oh, I'm just going <clears> to <throat> keep bolt to bolting it for the rest of the day to, you know, start the long slog of red pointing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really valuable thing to remember that learning isn't all about winning. You know, you have to fail to to learn the limits um, and to learn what not to do and to learn when, when it's too much. Um, I think that's really, really important to remember that it's a valuable part of the learning process. That if you're doing it exactly how you plan on doing it every single time, then you're not learning. You know, it's when you're failing and adjusting that learning is really happening. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so completely blowing a second go send is a really valuable thing to look at and try to understand. Totally. Uh, any more you want to say on the, the second try send? No, I think that pretty much covers it. We talked a little bit about when you should be doing it. You know, I mentioned that that it's one of my favorite things to do like early in a season to really get my feet back under me. Um, I like to do it as a post project, you know, uh, route Mm -hmm. or a a few days would you suggest doing this more often than just a few days in a season? What's your thought on it? Honestly, if you're fit enough, I think it's a great thing to do. Just keep, and if you have enough routes for it, yeah, keep it in the rotation. Um, like there are a lot of, like you look at high-end climbers, like Jonathan Segris is a good example. Um, I think he's done something like 714 second go, something like that, like, but a lot of these high-end climbers who have a lot, enough fitness that they can do a good number of pitches, like they're always doing new, somewhat difficult routes. Like this might be someone who can climb like 14D and they're doing like new 13Bs, 13Cs, 13Ds all the time. Like, you know, one to th- in one to three goes. Like, yep. and this is just going to keep building your repertoire and it's going to help keep building fitness. Um, so I think it's really good to keep in the lineup. Now, if you don't have access to other routes or honestly, if your fitness just is just so bad that you, you know, you're going to tank all your other plans to do that, then, yep. you know, one, work on your fitness so that you can actually start doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. what, what yeah. are your thoughts on this? No, I agree. And you know, the, the other time I would say to maybe take it out of the rotation because it is a really hard thing is when you're be exhausting closing in on a project and you really want to put your effort toward that. Um, especially if you're a weekend warrior and your time is limited or whatever, then by all means do everything you can to send the damn project. Mm-hmm. So I would drop this from the rotation cause it's a tough, you know, it can, a really hard second go send can be the end of trying hard that day. Oh yeah. So 
<clears throat> so yeah. Um, I think this will probably go out. Eh, probably not tonight, but maybe tomorrow. So it'll be the week prior to Climbers Fest here in Lander. Um, if you happen to be around and you want to uh, come and check out the machine shop, do an assessment with Nate and I. Um, we're offering movement assessments as well as sport climbing efficiency assessments. Um, I will have a link in the show notes for you to sign up for that. Um, so check the show notes right there on your pocket supercomputer. Um, while you're there, if you have not, go follow us on the Facebooks, follow us on the Instagrams. Um, if you're into pinning things, that's what they call it, pinning photos, then you can find us on the Pinterest. Um, and if you're into tweeting, well, you can tweet all the hell you want, but you will not find us there because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 this